0: You're listening to Unfiltered, the podcast. On Unfiltered, we bring you conversations of empowerment with entrepreneurs from all walks of life. We take off the filters and take you behind the scenes uncovering the lessons, stories, and nitty-gritty of our guests' journeys across different sectors and niches. I'm your host, Aisha Addo. Welcome to Life Unfiltered. Welcome to another episode of Unfiltered the Podcast. I'm your host, Aisha Addo, and today we are chatting with Ayutami Popo. She is an entrepreneur who invests in products, services, and ecosystems that help women thrive. Whether through media, technology, or tourism, her focus is on creating sustainable growth for women focused initiatives, especially in Africa. She believes there is so much space for disruption with products and services that meet the needs and ambitions of women, especially those on the african continent she is also the founder of ayiba media and girls trips tours she works in deep tech vc as an entrepreneur in residence i hope you are literally buckled up because this is going to be an amazing conversation this is unfiltered Thank you so very much for being on the Unfiltered podcast. Um, For those that do not know who you are, can you please give us a little bit of synopsis of who you are, how your journey started and what brought you here today?
1: That's a hard question to answer, especially now, because I feel like I'm really redefining that at this particular moment. But as an entrepreneur, I started Aiba Media about seven years ago. It was a publication meant to connect Africans in the diaspora with those on the continent. So it's a lifestyle magazine and through content we were able to start really interesting conversations between those two communities. Over the years I transformed my platform into more experiences. So I do Mystique et week. Right now we've only done it in Toronto. There's actually a plan to do it in Paris this year and we'll see mm-hmm. if that can still happen. But the idea is to create a space for African creators. So artists, mm-hmm. filmmakers, chefs, models, fashion designers, you name it. And we create a space for them to showcase their art and showcase their culture Culture to our audience. And mm. then I guess maybe most importantly is girls' trip tours. So that also came from the magazine, this idea of connecting the two communities, Africa mm. and its diaspora. I take women from all around the diaspora to the African continent. So we've done mm. trips to Ghana, Kenya, South Africa. And this year we're going to be to Zambia. And the idea is to create an experience around female empowerment. So I think women to Africa. were interacting with African women. We're mentoring young girls and we're discovering more about ourselves and each other throughout the week. So that's like my entrepreneurial side. My professional side, I'm an innovation strategist. I have a master's in digital experience innovation. It's a very adaptable skill, so I've used it in the media realm in the legal space finance now my next venture is into deep tech I'm really excited about that next
0: that's time. exciting Um, so yeah. for those who do not know what is an innovation strategist
1: <laughs> so the job of an innovation strategist is to come up with either new products new business models or help their client extend to new parts of the market and so it's our job to go into industries and it's actually better that we aren't too familiar with the industry that we go into because that allows us to have a truly fresh perspective and question mm-hmm. things that have become normal. And so as an innovation strategist, we go in to help our clients improve their products, reach new customers, and potentially improve their business models. And it's an end-to-end experience. So everything from actually doing market research and the discovery of what needs to change and what needs to evolve and what needs innovation, all the way to actually launching that product in to the market. Oh, dope.
0: No, that sounds very, very interesting. And I'm pretty sure that's also connected to your work with Ayuba Magazine. So if you can tell us, like, what inspired the start of Ayuba Magazine? So I started
1: Ayuba the summer after I graduated from my undergrad. Mm-hmm. I had just moved to New York City. I was starting a job there and I always knew I wanted to have my own thing. Mm-hmm. And it just made sense to start right out of school. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but Uh, while I was at school, I'd been making documentaries, topics around Africa. And so I wanted to do something in that same vein. And so a magazine made sense at the time, blogs were really popular, Mm -hmm. but I hadn't really heard of an online magazine yet. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't just want to write from my perspective because I thought that was too narrow. I wanted something that truly represented all of Africa. And so over the years, like the first three years of Aiba, it was just about me connecting with other African writers and having. them tell their stories to really create this full picture of what Africa is. Because in my undergrad, I learned that I didn't know as much about Africa as I thought I did. My perspective was very Nigeria focused, right? Mm -hmm. And it was in school that I met people from Lesotho and Kenya and Uganda for the first time. And I really wanted us to have a better understanding of each other, right? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of times people see the magazine and they think it was created to break down stereotypes, but not necessarily to white people. It was really for us to. To break down those stereotypes with each other and better understand each other because I think the future of the continent will only be bright if we as Africans and that's across the 54 countries are able to connect with each other and we form a unified strategy mm-hmm. um, and in order to do that you need to
0: understand each other right and the history and the politics <laughs> yeah. yeah no it's but very interesting so. it's actually very interesting that you mentioned that because I realized that like even though like I was born in Ghana moved to Canada like later on in the years but then I realized realized that I actually learned more about other African countries and like other Africans when I left Africa, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is very, very interesting. So it's cool that you were able to kind of like bridge that, like bridge those two gaps and, you know, really like sharing the stories and like also like sharing the stories of the people, right? Because I think that's really, really important. So what are some of the things that you guys focus on at Aiba Magazine and how do you see that has transitioned over the past couple of years?
1: So early on, it was a lot of first-person narratives and Mm. I think that's what really distinguished our content from other platforms. So it was people just like your podcast actually, it was very unfiltered. It was people Mm -hmm. being really vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You had people writing about colorism and Mm. just deep like family secrets, you know and just exposing themselves in a really interesting way. That's kind of how it started and yes, those narratives were tied to politics and aspects of society and culture and even travel but it was more focused around the individual Individual. And over time, it's kind of shifted a bit and maybe followed trend. And so now we do, we still do those personal narratives, but we also focus a lot on travel because there is this huge uh, black travel movement, as well as keeping people um, aggressive, the technological advances happening in Africa. So we have a very popular series called Startup Stories. And then we still do a little bit of politics here and there, especially when we find young people running
0: for office or getting appointments in government. It's really exciting that's very interesting and that sounds very exciting because you folks celebrated your 20th edition recently correct Mm -hmm. yeah how do you see like what has been the journey for you in terms of like starting like you said you went into a space where you know yes there are a lot of folks that are blogging there's a lot of those things but then you hadn't really seen an online magazine per se so starting from what your very first story or like even what your very first cover looked like to, to to your 20th edition like like, I am pretty sure that there is a story in between 1 <laughs> to 20 that a lot of people do not hear about and a lot of people do not. What would you say, based like, if you were to look back and to reflect with some of, like, the biggest challenges of developing, developing Aiba?
1: That's a really good question. So, it's funny because issue one was shot on my college campus. Like, I went back to Mount Holyoke, which is where I went to school and I had friends there who were photographers and they helped me shoot that first cover. Mm-hmm. And then, And if you fast forward to the 20th issue, that was shot in Los Angeles with the cover of a, the cover featuring a television actress. It was shot by Michael Bleecker, who is like a super famous LA photographer. And so it's just, it's like night and day where I started to where the magazine has ended up. And in between those two very stark contrasts, it was really about creating a team. Mm. So issue one, I was on my own. I had this idea. Wanting to show people what I was trying to achieve because sometimes when you tell people and your business idea, they don't get it. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> conceptually, it sounds cool. Good luck with that, you know, yeah. but you kind of have to show them. And so the first issue is really about me showing people exactly what I was trying to do. And it worked because a few months later, I started getting emails like, oh, I just came across this online. I would love to support. Can I get an internship? Uh, do you guys need social media help? Do you need a photographer? And then it just grew very organic that way to the point where I had a team of 20 writers wow. from LA to Vietnam, all across Africa, just sharing their stories, different African countries, some based in the diaspora, some based on the continent. And it was just this beautiful movement. It felt like where people were joining the magazine, telling their stories and adding mm-hmm. to that narrative. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been a really great journey.
0: That's very interesting. So like, what do you think has been some of like the key lessons that you have learned from building a media? your brand because like you mentioned earlier you folks do not just focus on like the storytelling aspect you've been able to incorporate travel you've been able to incorporate mentorship you've been able to incorporate like education in some regards right so what do you think has been some of the lessons that you have learned personally or like learned from other people and their journeys
1: so in regards to the content I would say definitely listen to your audience we got on twitter and kind of grew our twitter audience long before we started we pushed facebook and twitter is definitely a better place to have a conversation right Mm -hmm. and so through our Twitter channels we're able to understand what our audience wanted and direct our content accordingly and so that's how it organically evolved from being just you know first person narratives to more in-depth articles and focusing on travel because we saw that movement early and so it's I always smile looking back now that I have Girls Trip Mm -hmm. and it really connects to all the content we did around travel for Aiba Mm -hmm. and then I think for team. I keep saying the team, but the team is really important because as much as I listen to my audience, I also listen to my team. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad that I think it was out of necessity that I had this virtual team spread around the world, right? Because Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell these different narratives. And so I needed people from different backgrounds and that meant that they lived in different places. And now that's kind of the norm. You have virtual remote teams and it's a thing now, but in like 2013, it wasn't really, but I needed that wide network to tell the stories that I wanted to tell and because I didn't just have one type of person working for the magazine it also informed the content that we had it it was very diverse and so people who read it could find themselves in different articles right Mm -hmm. and that really expanded our reach
0: that's amazing that's really amazing so like basically you have started the digital aspect of doing business before it was it became popular and before people kind of like caught on right I want to touch on girls' trip tours a little bit more as well because like when you talk about travel like travel has become like one of the fastest growing industries um, over the past couple of years like you know you see brands like Travel Noir I mean when you go on Instagram there is like a whole lot right but then I also love the fact that like with girls' trip tours you're also focusing not just on the travel aspect you're focusing on women and you're also focusing on in a sense the empowerment of women um, but then also connecting them to organizations and stuff within the countries that you visit and mainly Africa. So I want to ask, what made you decide that you were going to focus Girl's Trip tours on the continent, one? And then also, what was that aha moment? What was that like, you know, inspirational moment that caused you to say, hey, we need to add a travel aspect to our brand. And especially if we're going to keep growing the brand, we need to do that like now and not later.
1: Yeah, so I'll actually answer that first because we launched Girl's Trip five years into Ayubama magazine and what we notice is our audience is 70 to 80% female so I wanted to create something uniquely for them the whole mission of the magazine was to connect Africa to the diaspora and that to me there was no better way to do that than literally <laughs> you know what I mean so travel made sense and I wanted to focus on women because that is who our audience was but also if you look at the larger travel industry and you look at tour companies even when it's a co-ed group you'll still find 60 70% of the group ends up being women, right? Because there's a safety thing to the reason why women traveling Travel together, yeah. Exactly. So I wanted to capitalize on that. And then I wanted to do it in Africa because I feel like you can go to other places in the world. There's so many options. There's so many platforms. But when it comes to Africa, and I mean sub-Saharan Africa, Mm -hmm. they're not, like, let's just exclude South Africa from that. There are not a lot of options to just go on your own, right? It's a really complicated process to figure out where to stay what tour company to use. Like, it's so complicated and that's what keeps people away. And people have always told me, like my friends, because, you know, they'll say, I want to come to Nigeria, you know, but I need someone to take me there. And I Mm -hmm. wanted to be that friend, you know, Mm -hmm. that took people to the continent. So that's what the girlship experience feels like. It feels like you're hanging out with your friend and she's showing you around. And since I'm not, I'm only Nigerian, I have most of my, you know, African experience in West Africa. I've used the connections I created through Ayuba Magazine to help me feel like a native when I go to Kenya because I know all these people that have been featured Mm -hmm. in the magazine that have listened for the magazine and so they welcome us they host us and they take us around and so it really feels like you have like a ready-made tribe Mm -hmm. when you land on a girls trip Mm -hmm. and I think that's a key difference.
0: Wow. That does sound like a very, very vital aspect of it. And like you mentioned something that is like, you know, so vital and so important, especially when people are thinking about travel and women, you know, which comes back to safety. Because like as I navigate through the travel industry or like see how like, you know, travel in itself, group travel and all these things has become so popular these days, like the missing ingredient honestly is around, you know, safety, especially when you're talking to women because you want to do solo travel, you want to go to places but you're like oh man like I don't know anyone there it's always fun as well when you're traveling with a group of people right so from what it sounds like it's like you're traveling with a group of people that have a shared interest or that have a common interest and are also open to like learning new things and are open to connecting with people in a different way so that's very very impressive e-
1: exactly and I actually want to touch on that that common interest that you mentioned mm-hmm. is why I have the service aspect right so by saying a huge part of this trip is that we're going to mentor young girls you're gonna mm-hmm. take a bit of your time on vacation we're gonna stop the Instagram selfies and we're just actually gonna focus and give back and spend a day like building these young girls up mm-hmm. there's a type of person that says yes I want to take up time for my vacation to do that to do that yeah and by just putting that in there it filters for me mm-hmm. so I've done three trips I've never had like any bad energy because mm-hmm. people come to this with a different kind of energy they come to serve to help mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure about it like I was like do people Really want to take time on their vacation to do this whole mentoring thing like it might be too involved but at the end of the day that's the number one thing people tell me why they choose girls trip over any other things like I'm looking to do that service aspect and so that's really helped me out that the whole trip is just good by doing
0: it. that's amazing that's actually really really beautiful and like I want to touch on like over the past couple of years why is it so important to share African content like I know now like Africa is hot you know like taking Ghana <laughs> for <God>. example <laughs> <laughs> that just kind of like came back from like the whole year return high and like this year was supposed to be beyond the return but then you know we're I mean, still beyond yeah, the return we're just seeing is. how things play out right but then I remember like coming to Canada where like being African was not hard hot thing like I knew people that were Africans that were identifying as Caribbean so that they wouldn't get bullied or they wouldn't get like you know what I mean called out on but why do you think that like sharing that African content and like being being a primary curator of such experiences? and such stories is so vital and it's so important.
1: I think it's so important because it's why we're where we're at now. It's why Africa is hot, right? It didn't just Mm -hmm. like happen overnight. So yeah, same thing growing up in New York. It wasn't that cool to be African. It was much cooler to be Jamaican or something. But by college, I already started seeing the change, especially like Nigerian music becoming just popular music. Mm -hmm. And now it's even like Afrobeats has gone beyond anywhere we thought it could go, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's through the arts like people underrate arts all the time. It's through music, it's through film, like Mollywood, low-key, at least within like the black diaspora, really changed the way people saw Africa. They saw people in mansions and Abuja and they didn't know that's what Africa looked like, you know? Mm-hmm. And then content online, telling those African stories, starting those blogs, starting those online magazines. And then you had Siena and BBC, you know, lifting content from that arena and actually creating African specific content. It's starts with the smaller guys and then the bigger guys start to take notice when mm-hmm. there's enough movement and so yeah I think where Africa is today is owed to those people telling stories and changing minds and shifting narratives
0: mm-hmm. no that's actually very interesting Neil right on the head with that because I see that like now because like as the content and as like you know the digital stories of like Africa and like the continent emerges like Africans like myself and like even younger Africans are able to embrace that aspect of themselves more so I get the opportunity to to work within like one of the school systems here in in Toronto. And one of the things that I realized like from when we first started to now is that like a lot of times like the Africans are, you know, they're very reserved. They don't want to speak, they don't want to talk more because they find that like, you know what I mean? They're going to, people are going to laugh at their accents or, you know, they wouldn't necessarily want to identify with being African as opposed to like now where like I see that there's been a transition where it's more conversational. Like people want to know more about where you're from. People want to like, you know, understand oh, like, you know, why do Africans do this? Or like, oh, why do Nigerians do this? Or why do Guineans do this? And then you see, like, you know, that friendly banter that comes from, like, you know, Nigerian Jalaf and Guinean Jalaf and, like, really being able to, like, create that sense of community Whereas, like, when I was growing up, or, like, when I was going to high school in Toronto, as diverse as Toronto was, it wasn't like that, you know what I mean? So you see right there, like, the power of, like, media and changing narratives. Um, But then also at the same time, you also have media kind of, like, creating. creating conspiracies like you know what I mean in the day and age of social media there's also a lot of like content and there's also a lot of like information and narratives that aren't necessarily honest and aren't necessarily true so in your industry how do you find or how do you kind of like differentiate between content that is relevant and truthful and like you know is diligent to content that is kind of like okay this is what everyone else is talking about so we want to you know jump on the bandwagon
1: that's a good question so I think it's always been a goal to really share the full picture of Africa. There are a lot of platforms that came up and it was like, we want to show the good only. We want to show so much good because we're trying to like equalize all the bad that the mass media is sharing about Africa. And I don't necessarily think that's a good approach. I think nothing beats the truth and the truth is more than good and bad, right? It's a full picture. But at the same time, I think when we talk about African content, it's different, right? Because there's so much misinformation, about Africa already. If you just think about it historically, right? Like, our history books Mm -hmm. were mostly written by non-Africans till today, right? When this whole fake news phenomenon kind of took roots in the West and now we're at a point where we can't tell the difference between fact and fiction, it just reminded me of what's always been the case with Africa. For so long, even us as Africans couldn't tell the truth between fact and fiction Mm -hmm. because of the stories we were told, because Mm -hmm. of how our history was erased. And so I think I think it's important to make sure that we're telling a full picture. And I think that's the difference between journalism and media. Journalism is supposed to be objective and it's supposed to be the full picture of the truth. And even that is at risk right now. Media has an agenda, right? And so people get up in arms about people telling false narratives. But even that is subjective, right? Because false narratives have always been told. But now it's just, it's being told Told about a group of people that don't want that, want yeah. to reject that. But when it was told about other groups, you know, it was fine. Mm-hmm. So I'm not for fake news. I'm just like trying to break it down. Like journalism, yes, it has to be balanced and it has to be objective. But media, in my opinion, if you look at the history of media, has always had an agenda. And I just think right now um, that agenda is shifting for those
0: in power. They're afraid of that shift. That's very, very interesting. And like, I love the fact that like, you know, you talked about how like you broke it down in terms of like the difference between journalism and media, right? Because a lot of times, I think a lot of people mistaking media for journalism and they expect something from, and again, like, you know, when you are in the position of telling narratives and creating content, like I do believe that of course there has to be some level of like diligence on, like there has to be some moral code that like, you know, you follow like as an individual or as a company or as a business, whatever it may be, right? And like the moment that like you start strain away from that that's kind of like when it becomes problematic because when we look at like you know the narrative of Africa or like we look at the narrative of the continent one of the key things that like you know we see a lot of is that there's a lot of misinformation in terms of like you know what our history is how we interact with that history and how we like how that history shows up in our present day right and a lot of times people don't realize that the stories that you hear about yourself really and truly goes Mm -hmm. a long way in shaping up who you become And who you are. So, if, for example, like I said, like I grew up in Ghana. Growing up in Ghana, I didn't recognize. Like, and I, I share the story like with folks where I say that, like, you know, I didn't identify as a black person until I came to Canada because mm. in Ghana, like, you know, I'm Ghanaian. Like, everyone looks like um. Yes, you know, you see occasionally you see the people like you see the expats and you see all these people that not necessarily have the same features or speak the same way that you do, but there are still some there was still some level of pride in who you are because you understood that this is me. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is like this is my country in a sense. Like this is where I, I reside. This is where I'm able to relate to people. However, like you migrate and you go to a different country, you do not recognize your blackness until you're it's pointed out to you and it's like, no, actually, you're not like us, you are black. I'm like, I'm sorry, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I'm like, excuse me, huh? I'm African. Like, what? What what's going on here? And then you start hearing all these different narratives, like coming to Canada, like The things that people told me about Africa (laughs) when I came to this country, I'm like, yo, where are you people getting your stories from? Like, this is interesting, like, this is crazy. Even to the point where, like, my first encounter with folks in high school was them asking me if I could speak English. Meanwhile, I was having a whole conversation with them in English. (laughs) So It's very interesting how, like, you know, the stories that we hear and the narratives that we hear really and truly go a long way in affecting us, like, maybe subconsciously affecting us and, like, even consciously affecting us and how we show up in places. So like really kudos to you and your team for really shedding light on like you know the stories of our people and like the stories of like not even just our people but like sharing stories and shedding light on you know the continent and shedding light on the things that are actually going on and being objective about it and being informational and educational about it. And I think that's one of the key things that really makes a difference for a lot of folks right thank you. That's really really exciting. So I kind of like want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier around going into deep tech. So how do you see technology connecting with everything that you do today? And why deep tech? Like, why are you like personally getting into that? Like, what are you seeing as an innovative strategist that is kind of like leading you into that direction? Oh,
1: I'm going to enjoy this question. Um, (laughs) So tech is part of our everyday lives already. With what's going on right now, we're seeing a shift in the market and it's a correction that has been needed and when I say a correction, I'm talking about like on the venture capital side, on, on what people are investing in and how people are valuing startups. You have this overinflation of certain tech companies that have intangible products, that the value is subjective, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a company like Twitter where their profit does not match their valuation. Mm-hmm. But there's this intangible that the market sees. And a lot of these companies that are valued in this way, you can look at the founders and they all look a certain way and they all have raised money in a certain place, Mm -hmm. Silicon Valley, from people who look the same way. And I think those days are over. Mm -hmm. The WeWorks, that whole mess, (laughs) that's behind us, right? Because you can't value companies in that way anymore. There has to be a real formula. And I see deep tech as a space where that cannot happen because deep tech is not not only about innovation, right? Mm -hmm. So Uber, Airbnb, Netflix, what's interesting about them is how they An existing industry, an existing an existing market, Mm -hmm. and they digitized it. They were innovative with the business model, especially when you look at like Uber and Airbnb. But that's that's pretty much it. Like we had cars before, we had houses before, we had hotels before. You know what I mean? It was just like a better, more efficient way to do things. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily inventing anything. And with deep tech, it's actually it's an invention. It's Mm -hmm. a new technology, right? And so there's something tangible there. There's intellectual property there. Mm -hmm. It's real and it's easier to assign value to something that exists, right? So that's why I like the deep tech space because as startups in other parts of the tech world, I believe are gonna start struggling for investments and not just for investments, but for the valuation that they were getting before this whole crisis. I think with deep tech, it's gonna be easier to add a value. It's gonna be easier to raise because it's actually a real invention, right? Mm. So when I say deep tech to be a bit more specific, not like space tech, uh, cream tech, um, autonomous driving, computer vision, like those real things, not just an application mm. that has users. There's no shade to that, but some of those companies were being overvalued. Oh,
0: no, absolutely. Like, you know, when you, I mean, Silicon so like Valley is, it's like the bro code, right? Like, it's just a bunch of like folks that really have the money, have the connections, have the networks, and they're like, yo, this is what I'm building. As a result, put like, you know, these bigger valuations and you're looking at it and you're like wait but how come your profit is not like you said earlier like how come your profit is not matching your valuation right so that's very interesting so how do you see that like you know deep tech in a sense innovating different sectors and like specifically like your sector how do you see that affecting it or enhancing it if it does
1: so i feel like the most advanced form of deep tech that is already being adopted into all industries is artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. and machine learning and in terms of media it's going to be interesting how that either further puts us into a bubble or Mm -hmm. if we're able to teach the algorithm to actually bring us out of it because right now I feel like we're almost all living in our own realities like you Mm -hmm. can curate your Spotify list you can curate your newsfeed you can curate everything to just reinforce your worldview, Mm -hmm. and it will never be challenged especially if you have friends who have trained their algorithms the same way Mm -hmm. and so I think in a business sense it's actually good for media platforms like myself actually throughout this whole um, COVID thing, my ad revenue's gone up by like 60% because people are online and, you know, people are searching for content. So mm-hmm. I think in business terms, it's it's probably a good thing because your exact user is going to be able to find you more easily mm-hmm. if they train their algorithm to find you, right? To find content that they want. But in terms of the social implications of that, I think it's going to be really interesting because people are going to have have really insular knowledge, right? And they're not going to be pushed out of their element at all. That's scary. <laughs> yeah,
0: that um, is very scary.
1: But at the same time, you do have companies who are working to present biased news. So there's a platform, I can't remember the name right now, but based in the U.S. and right now the U.S. is really polarized Democrats, Republicans. Mm-hmm. And it makes sure that, let's say you're a Republican, you're also getting news that a Democrat in your demographic would be getting. So mm-hmm. it presents a more balanced picture of what's actually going on because when you read headlines right now they're so sensationalized one or the other (laughs)
0: yeah
1: so just seeing how the other side tells the same story is
0: really helpful to people
1: so i hope to see more startups that are doing that so you're getting a lot more even content
0: that's beautiful thank you so very much temi for being with us today like my final question to you is really like what would you say to people that are you know in the trenches of trying to either start immediate company or are trying to get into either deep tech or the travel industry, like, what would you say should be, like, the key takeaways for entrepreneurship that you have learned that you feel like everyone needs to know about, like, you know what I mean? The one entrepreneurship big tool or lesson that everyone needs to learn, regardless of your sector, actually.
1: I would say regardless of sector, one thing that's guided my career, both entrepreneurially and professionally, is just being open, being open to opportunities and also positioning myself and being ready when those opportunities opportunities came. With AIBA, we've gotten like really good interviews with people that were out of my league at the time. But mm. I asked, you know, that's that's literally all I did. And the answer was yes. And so I'd say always, always shoot further than you think you can reach. On the deep tech side, that's been really interesting because I did study computer science in school. I never used it when I graduated. I focused more on digital marketing. And it feels like I've been slowly working my way back to that. What has created a competitive advantage for me is that I have such a great career. I've worked in so many different spaces, but I never forgot that there was a thread that I was trying to pull through all my experiences. Mm. And it's really good to, yes, be open to opportunities and take different opportunities and let the path kind of lead you, but also as you're on that path, try and understand what that thread is. What's your magic? And the value of being able to communicate your magic to people Mm -hmm. is what will open doors for you and is what will allow you into spaces that you never dreamed you could enter.
0: Wow, that is so beautiful. And like, I couldn't have said that any better. So where could people find you? Like, where can people find information about Ayuba Magazine? Do you have any upcoming trips with girls' trips tours coming up? And yeah, like, this is the time for you to pick up yourself, you know, shed light on your amazing self. Um, Yeah, and give us all of your socials and everything else in between.
1: Sure. So for Ayuba Magazine, You can read our amazing articles at www.ayibamagazine.com. That's A-Y-I-B-A magazine.com. We're also on Instagram at Ayiba Mag. And our next trip on Girls Trip is hopefully going to be November 15, South Africa and Zambia. We're going to iconic Victoria Falls. And you can find us on Instagram at Girls Trip Tours or at www.girlstrip.tours.
0: Amazing. Thank you so very much. Now, this is like the final question that I always ask everyone. And you're actually the first one that I'm going to ask this question to. <laughs> I,
1: I was about to say, because I've listened to your episodes, I did not hear this final question.
0: I'm like, you're going to be the first person that's going to get this question. But the question is this. If you could do it all over again, would you? Oh, yes. Wow. And I might not have said that last
1: month, by the way. It oh. changes, right? right? Like, that's the life of an entrepreneur. It's ups and downs. But right now, I'm in a really good place and I'm so grateful
0: for the journey. Wow, thank you. Honestly, thank you so very much for being on the Unfiltered Podcast. This has been such an insightful conversation and I really, truly cannot wait to see what's next for you because you, my friend, are going places and, you know, breaking down all the stereotypes and stuff that we've heard about African women. So kudos to you.
1: Thank you so much, Aisha. I really enjoyed this conversation.
0: There were so many gems in this conversation and I hope that you took something away from her Unfiltered journey. make sure that you're following her on all social media platforms make sure that you also subscribe to Ayuba media for all of their ongoing projects and everything else that they have in store be sure to follow us at unfiltered with aisha on instagram and make sure that you share this with your friends and family again it's been real i hope that you are as inspired to do great things as much as i am and as much as our guests are this is unfiltered